This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. All right, well, thank you all for coming. Um, I'm Bridget Dwyer, and I'm the director of the program of Intergroup Relations, and I have the privilege of teaching you in global, so I'm glad about that. Yes. It's great, we have a good time. <laughs> but So today I'm doing a presentation on, um, the title is Emerging as Hispanic Serving, so the role of Hispanic serving institutions in U.S. higher education and the landscape. So, um, so I guess the goals of today's presentation are to really talk about um, these couple of questions. So what are Hispanic serving institutions? What is the U.S. higher education landscape? And what relevance do HSIs have on this higher education landscape? So to back up a little bit more too, um, I have done a lot of um, research. So my work here is on um, intergroup dialogue and intergroup relations and a lot of research pieces. Um, and before that, I was, was doing a lot of work on uh, Hispanic serving institutions and emerging HSIs. So um, that's kind of my background. And I've done interviews with students about their experiences. So um, I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk about that. Um, so, um, a note about language, I think, so the terminology is Hispanic serving institutions, but um, a, more of the common terminology is to use Latina, Latino. So, um, I will use them kind of interchangeably, but um, the terminology comes from a long time ago when, the, uh, when HSIs were established. So, um, just if you're wondering about that, just throw that out there. Okay, so what are some ways in which the higher education landscape is changing? And I throw that out to you all. What are some, when you think about higher education and kind of the big issues that people talk about when they're applying to college or that parents are worried about, what are some of the things that you think of? Yep. Probably diversity in the campus. Diversity in the campus, okay, all right. What else? <laughs> the cost. The cost, yep. Oh, yeah, Absolutely, the cost. <laughs> yep. Am I going to, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Probably distance from home. Distance from home, okay. Because I know like when I was applying, I just stayed around. Okay. Yeah, so proximity, certainly yeah. too. Okay. Anything else? Return on investment. ROI, all right. Kind of goes along with jobs, right? And cost, so. Okay. So these are some of the pieces that, um, Kind of looking across the literature, these are some of the things that are really talked about. So changing demographics, certainly, so diversity, um, but I think that also gets to proximity, um, talking distance from home, and uh, income of, of people who are applying, the rising costs, certainly. Millennials is a big piece, kind of what is your generation doing? How are they different? How do we serve them in a really effective way? Um, sexual assault, we've had a lot of trainings for those of us who are staff and faculty. I think there's been a lot of conversations in student organizations and a lot of awareness about uh, sexual assault on campus, about mental health. Um, so kind of how are we serving students who are coming to campus with different mental health concerns? Yeah. So I just want to clarify on that. So that's not that there's more or less sexual assault, it's more awareness? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and internationalization. So how are we thinking about um, our presence is, is not beyond sort of the US context, but also in terms of international context? And how are we serving students who are coming from international, um, from different countries? So those are some of the big things. Institutional response. 
Okay. And rising reporting and institutional response to such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to focus on changing demographics. So um, I think Hispanic-serving institutions and emerging Hispanic-serving institutions is, is a way that you can talk about all of these particular pieces, but with a highlight on this particular piece of changing demographics. So, um, so the importance of the changing demographics is highlighted by um, AACNU, which is the, American, uh, the Association for American Colleges and Universities, has come out within the last couple of years talking about um, a liberal education. And part of their liberal education, they really talk about this idea of, of inclusive excellence. Um, so they say that one of the things that's imperative to a liberal education is to be inclusive. And so they define, um, part of their definition of a liberal education is one that embraces a diversity of people for the opportunity to learn with and from diverse peer, peers is, al is also a critical element of educational excellence. This commitment to diversity and equity in all forms is what we mean by inclusive excellence. So it's a part of the national conversation when we're talking about what's really good, what's really important about um, getting a college degree. It's integral to, to the college experience. And there's national conversations happening and saying that this is something that we really need to be paying attention to and really promoting um, our students um, to be prepared for as they go out into the into the workforce so as we talk about sort of the changing demographics I wanted to talk about again Hispanic serving institutions and these two organizations HACU the Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities and Excelencia in Education are sort of the two leading bodies that are really talking about HSIs doing a lot of research um, supporting Hispanic serving institutions so a lot of the information that you'll see um, next will come from these two sources so does anybody have a sense of what Hispanic serving institutions are You know a bit, so, but I'm going to not call on you right now. <laughs> any sense? Any, anyone take a stab? Or when you hear the term, what do you think? Nobody's willing to venture a guess? I mean, maybe. <laughs> so it probably has something to do with... Hispanic or Latino serving oh, and yeah. in colleges and universities or institutions, right? Like when you say Hispanic serving institution, I feel like that means, I don't know, they accept us? Like, I don't know. Okay, it's a good start. <laughs> but accept far in terms of admission or um, welcome or what do you mean? Probably both. Okay. We'll keep that in mind because I think that's that's an important important piece. So I'm going to watch a short video that could uh, that should hopefully speak to some of these pieces, and I want you to keep these questions in mind. So think about what did you learn? Hopefully something, since we don't have a lot of information about HSIs. Um, what is the definition of an HSI? What are the character characteristics of HSIs? And would you consider Villanova an HSI? Okay. So. Oh, really? What? Well, it didn't even, it went to a different, it's going to a different, um, it's going to Internet Explorer as opposed to. As opposed to playing it from the slide? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
post resolution okay, why is 737, which encourages the establishment of the week of September 20th as National Hispanic Serving Institutions Week. Hispanic serving institutions are degree granting institutions with full time equivalent. Okay, so we're listening because I see the video, but it's not up here. So let me back it up so you can listen to it a little more. I accept. Record. Objection. Mr. Speaker, I give myself as much time as I may consume. Someone's recognized. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I rise today in support of House Resolution 737, which encourages the establishment of the week of September 20th. As National Hispanic Serving Institutions Week. Hispanic serving institutions are degree granting institutions with full time equivalent undergraduate enrollments that are at least 25% Hispanic. In 1990, there were only 135 recognized Hispanic serving institutions. Today, there are 268 such institutions, educating more than half of all Hispanic college and university students in the nation. Hispanic Americans face multiple obstacles in access and completion of higher education. While Hispanic high school graduates are more likely than their white peers to go on to college, they are less likely to complete their bachelor's degree because of issues linked to poverty, immigration, and enrollment status. Hispanic serving institutions play a crucial role in addressing these issues and obstacles while remaining committed to educating underserved students across the country. Working to increase enrollment and retention, Hispanic serving institutions have created many innovative programs. At El Camino College in California, their first year experience class has persistence rates 10 to 30% higher than the rest of the student body. The program provides a learning community through lead classes and a team of instructors and counselors who work together to increase, increase student access and student success. <coughs> At the University of El Texas in El Paso, deep relationships with the surrounding K-12 community schools have helped reach a path for students to attain a higher education and be prepared for college-level work. Hispanic serving institutions continue to produce extremely accomplished members of our society. Their alumni include, include members of Congress and some of the President's closest advisors in his cabinet. Lastly, it is important to note that September is Hispanic Heritage Month. This month celebrates the accomplishments and contributions of Hispanics in the United States while honoring Hispanic culture in the country. It is appropriate that we include Hispanic, Hispanic serving institutions in this honor. I thank Representative Grijalva for his leadership in bringing this important resolution forward. Mr. Speaker, I ask my colleagues to support this important resolution and join me in my commendation of our country's Hispanic serving institutions. I reserve the balance of my time. Gentleman reserves the balance of his time. The gentleman from Pennsylvania. Mr. Speaker, I yield myself such time as I might consume. Gentleman's recognized. Thank you. Mr. Speaker, I rise in support of House Resolution 737, a resolution expressing the sense of the House of Representatives that a National Hispanic Serving Institutions Week should be established. I want to thank the gentleman from Arizona, Mr. Grijalva, for introducing this resolution. Mr. Grijalva recognizes the important role that HSIs play for all post-secondary students, especially minority students. HSIs and their student body are very diverse. The community of HSIs include two and four-year institutions and public and private institutions. 
In 2007, 46% of the students enrolled in HSIs were Hispanic, and the remaining 44% were a diverse mix of students from various ethnicities and backgrounds. Even with this diversity of, student, of the student body, geographical location, and population served, the principal mission of all of these institutions is to provide a quality education. HSIs deserve recognition for the contribution they make to the education community and the nation. While comprising less than 10% of the nation's institutions of higher education, HSIs educate over two-thirds of Hispanic students enrolled in colleges and universities. Most HSIs do not have access to the resources or endowment income that other institutions can draw on. However, they are still successful in their effort to provide a high-quality education, often to some of our most disadvantaged students. And we have consistently worked to improve the nation's support for Hispanic-serving institutions. Just last Congress, the Higher Education Opportunity Act, the reauthorization bill for the Higher Education Act, included a provision that created a new program designed to allow these students, these institutions, to improve their graduate and professional programs. We also provided more flexibility to HSIs through the broadening of uses of Title V funds to include activities like the development of articulation agreements, the development of distance learning technologies, and providing additional financial literacy counseling to students and families. It is important that we recognize the contribution of HSIs and their graduates by celebrating HSI Week. The number of HSIs increases every year. From 2006 to 2007, 13 new institutions qualified as an HSI. These institutions provide an ever-increasing number of students with a high-quality education and leadership skills for the future, and they deserve recognition for such. Mr. Speaker, I urge my colleagues to support this resolution, and I reserve the balance of my time. Okay, so what did you learn? Some of it maybe have been confusing. If so, say so. But what did you learn? What's that? Okay. No, thinking. Stop. What did you learn? What is your name? Mike. What'd you learn, Mike? Yeah, so they've been increasing a lot over time, and now they're pretty prominent. Okay, yeah, what else? There's at least 25% Hispanic uh, acceptance. To qualify to be an HSI, you have to have 25% undergraduate full-time enrollment. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the part I missed is they said that the retention rate, that Hispanics were less likely to compete, complete the VA, but were accepted at a higher rate than there was some piece before that than the white peers, something like that. Oh, I heard that part. Did you, uh, yeah. It I was mean, like something he was talking about that Hispanics have like I guess like the capability of like working in like higher education um, facilities, but that they can't get accepted. Not because they can't get accepted, they're probably more likely to get accepted than their white peers. But because of stuff like immigration right. and 
money and things like that, it's what stops them. So I, I, I think, I, think I don't remember the exact phrasing that he used, but um, because the population is changing at such a fast rate, there's actually, there's a lot more um, Hispanic Latino students in high schools that are now going to college. And so if we look kind of proportionally at acceptance rates, they're going up, but the completion rates are not proportional to the acceptance rates, is, is essentially um, the argument that's up there. So, um, so we understand now that they are 25%. Um, um, did you learn anything about the characteristics of HSIs? Anything else about, other than? Is it kind of like, I feel like they celebrate Latino culture, okay. and they're really like welcoming and opening, and they're mm -hmm. trying to give um, Latinos who have, that have barriers into getting into some institutions, um, accepting them, and trying to get mm -hmm. as much money and funding as they can. And that's what it seemed like sure. they were doing. They were trying to raise awareness and probably trying to get donations Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's this. Uh, we'll talk about this in a, in a little bit. But there's a there's a funding piece, and it's it's uh, connected to something called Title V funding, um, which is a grant. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So there's a serving part. You were talking a lot about kind of being welcoming and and accepting, and so that's the sort of serving piece of this. Um, so I will give you the information. Um, to the, the answers to the questions is asking. So yes, HSIs are institutions with 25% or more Hispanic or Latino undergraduate full-time equivalent enrollment. Okay. The number of HSIs changes year to year, again, because of the changing demographic, and that's why we've seen a lot of growth. There's more now than there were before, and we'll talk more specifically in a moment about how many there are now. And institutions can apply um, through a competitive process to receive Title V funding. So once you reach that 25% marker, um, you can compete for, for this grant, which is a, a capacity building grant. So it's something that can help with your infrastructure. Um, it can some, it's something that you have to make a proposal, and it's basically something that is going to support the well-being of the students. So it might be a tutoring center. It might be um, saying that we don't have a we need a new building because we're running out of space. So it's, it's tailored to the needs of that particular institution, but it's something that's going to help them serve their students better. But is Title V just for Latino? It's just for, for Hispanic-serving oh, institutions. Okay. So, um, so it was created to assist HSIs to expand the educational opportunities and improve attainment, uh, degree attainment of, of, Hispanic serving, of Hispanic students. Um, so, this is a map that shows where the HSIs are now. So the, the uh, orange is the, is the HSI. So they're 370 as of 2012-2013. And so these, these are the different states. Anything surprising, or is that kind of where you thought they might be? I thought that's where they might be, because that's where the most Latinos are. Mm -hmm. Definitely mm -hmm. New York, Puerto Rico, of course. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, definitely like Texas, yeah. West mm -hmm. Coast. Mm -hmm. What's surpri anything surprising in this map? I'm surprised Pennsylvania is small. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, maybe they were like little orange spots. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about the middle of the country? Is that at all surprising? The middle. The middle. Mm-hmm. Indiana. Okay. All right. Okay, all right. So um, we'll get into the more specifics. So um, 
So HSIs are important because, and we heard this in the video, so I'm going to reiterate a little bit of what, of what, the, speaker, what the speaker was saying. But they make up 11%. I think he said um, almost 10 at the time. So the video was a 2009 video. Um, so again, we've seen in the last six years um, the growth. So they make up 11% of U.S. colleges and universities. Um, they serve 69% of all Hispanic or Latino students in higher education across all universities. If you think of anybody who identifies as Hispanic or Latino, HSIs serve almost 60% of all of the Latino students in this country who are in colleges. So that's a profound amount. That's a huge percentage of students. That's a huge percentage. Uh, that's more than half yeah. of the Latino population. So this is very, very, they're very, very relevant. Um, especially, again, thinking about how the demographics are changing in this country. Um, they're very, very relevant. There are uh, many HSIs local to Villanova, but Villanova is, oh, so answer the question. So Villanova and no. HSI? No, no, because we are not 25%. Oh, we are like 5%? We are about, what did you say, 7.5? 7 7 and 8%. Yep. 7 and 8%. Mm -hmm. and um, so HSIs are also important because they embody this inclusive excellence that I talked about earlier. And really, again, in light of, of today being a freedom school, really embody MLK's legacy um, in terms of inclusion and service to all. So enrollment at HSIs, again, we heard this in, in the video, but HSIs are diverse, so it's not just that they serve a lot of uh, Latino students, but also they enroll 28% of all Asian students, students who, of all the, again, all the students in college, enrolled in colleges and universities that identify as Asian, 28% of them attend an institution that is classified as an HSI. Same thing, African American, 16%. American Indian, 14%. And they serve 10% of all, of all of the white students who go to college, 10% of those white students attend an HSI, right? So it's, 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 they're definitely important to, the, again, the particular population of Latino students, but also quite relevant across all racial demographics. So, um, so there are a couple different lists of, of HSIs, and there's not anything particularly official. So I told you about those two different governing bodies. So there's um, Excelencia in Education and there's HACU, and they both keep different lists of, of, uh, of HSIs. Um, and so HACU is a, is a membership-based organization, and so a lot of their reporting is, is about who is a part of their member, who's a part of their membership. Um, and, and again, the, the numbers are changing every year. Um, and some of the lists are consider whether or not the institution has a Title V grant and rather than just their particular demographic. So there's different lists that are kept in different places. So there's not necessarily a consistent number across the board that we can point to and say, this is the exact number of HSIs that exist. Um, so on one of the lists, we actually have Esperanza College of Eastern University, which is in Philadelphia. So on one of the lists, and I think it's because they don't have a Title V grant. I'm, I couldn't say that for certain, but I think that that's the case. Um, they don't appear on the list and so on the map that I showed, but um, in some categories, they, they are listed as an HSI. So that's the only one in our region. Um, if we look at New Jersey, these are the different colleges and universities in New Jersey that are HSIs. Anything surprising here or anything, I don't know how familiar you are with New Jersey, but if we look at kind of two-year or four-year, look at those percentages. Oh. There's more two-year ones. Mm -hmm. And then there's more people going to the two-year than there are going to the four-year. Absolutely. So, and that's kind of consistent with what the data show and what we know about Latino and Hispanic. 
populations that tend to be lower income. So you typically you're, t you're and have lower, um, the parents tend to have lower college education, so more likely to go to a two-year institution. Um, so this is consistent with what, what we know about higher education um, and higher going rates for uh, Latino students. So this is New York. We have nine CUNYs. What's a CUNY? Uh, City University of New York. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then all of these institutions. One of the SUNY schools, so one of the state institutions. I never heard of that, Mm -hmm. that, that is actually, that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting um, uh, HSI because most of the HSIs have evolved to become Hispanic serving institutions. So they exist because of the um, change in demographics. So they were established, many of them, as uh, predominantly or historically white institutions. But they have evolved to now serve Hispanics by, by virtue of their demographics. Boricua is one of, I think, two, two HSIs that was established for the explicit purpose of educating Puerto Ricans. And so it's in New York City. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah, I think it's in the Bronx. I think it's in the South Bronx. Um, and so, so it has a very different history and a very different way of serving. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, if we think about what service means, if you're established to serve one population versus established to serve another population, the way in which you approach your students could be very different. So emerging Hispanic-serving institutions is, again, another category that I've mentioned. And so they're institutions that are sort of on the verge of becoming Hispanic-serving institutions. So these are sort of the ones that we watch out for to see you know, what's going to happen, when are they going to become HSIs. And so they've been identified as institutions that have between 15 and 24% Hispanic full-time enrollment. Um, and they, and um, and like I said, it's really, it's really kind of about the place at which the institutional culture starts to change. So um, once we reach this, um, this, this place where groups are more balanced, that we have uh, close to 40 to 60% of a population, um, sort of majority and minority groups, we start to have a different, a different really shift in the culture. Um, I think there's, there's a lot more equity at that point. The reason that we have 25% as a number for um, HSIs, it's, it kind of seems arbitrary in some ways, but uh, according to Cantor's research on critical mass theory, she talks about that 25% marker is kind of a range where things start to shift a little more. It's not that it's completely balanced, but there's sort of a shift in culture and that we say, oh, okay, well, there's a kind of a critical mass here. There's enough people of a particular group to make a difference, to start to change the culture of an institution. So that's sort of the background about that. So remember the map that we saw of, um, I'll go back actually. This is the map of um, Hispanic serving institutions. So think about the idea about emerging Hispanic serving institutions. Picture in your mind, what do you think that's gonna look like? I'm gonna go forward to that map. A picture what's, what states are gonna be added to the map here. So all of these orange states here are the states that have institutions that are between that 15 and 24% marker. Anything surprising about this map? Or is this what you expected? Kind of, yeah. So, so what, 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 so Pennsylvania pops on the map, right? That's one thing we can notice. What else stands out? Oklahoma. Oklahoma, yeah. I just say that because my cousins go there. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? Some down south states, yeah. There's a lot more happening in the south, right? 
And it's not necessarily something that we that we typically talk about. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of times we talk about sort of Florida. We talk about um, you know the states that border border Mexico. But there's a large growth across the country of Latino students, and so we can see that representation in the map. I have a question. Yes. Was Nevada there before? It was not. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. So these are the emerging HSIs in Pennsylvania. Any surprises there? I've never heard of any of these. Okay. So do you know where these are? I know where Houston is. Okay. So. So is it that one that's like that's the branch like two there and two in Maine, or is Hazleton like four years from the state? Hazleton is a four-year campus, but it is. Um, I'm going to see if this if I can actually get it up there. Oh, why can I see this and you all can't? Sure. So what I'm looking at that you all probably can't see is well, I know you can't see it, but um, is this is this is a map of um, where those colleges and universities are. So they're all kind of in that Reading area. So they're all sort of the middle. This is Reading Area Community College. This is Penn State Hazleton. This is Lehigh, Lehigh Carbon Community College. This is Northampton Community College. And as a point of reference, here's Villanova. And Philadelphia would be out right about out here. Uh, sorry, right here. So they're all kind of in, the, in this area. And this is sort of a, a, a little known fact that um, now in the Amish, Amish country, which is not far from there, there are more Latinos than there are Amish. So given, again, the, the way in which our state is changing in terms of demographics, it's not surprising that that is where um, these HSIs or emerging HSIs are popping up. Um, but again, it's, it's something, so it's something to, to, to just kind of take note of and, and, to, and to watch. Okay, so and then so there are 26 uh, HSIs in New York, and um, 11 in New Jersey. Okay. So again, emerging HSIs are relevant um, because of changing demographics, and and going back to your point, Carlin, it, it goes to. Um, this idea b between Hispanic serving and Hispanic enrolling. So you talked a lot about, oh, you know, I think that there are um, institutions where you'd feel welcome, and um, but a lot of the definition of Hispanic serving institution is actually that it's a Hispanic enrolling institution. So the questions then become, how how are students being served? So when we think about that, we think about the services, we think about the interactions that students are having, we think about the mission. So when you, know, you noticed um, Borico College, that's an important one to, to recognize because it, was found, because it was founded with the explicit purpose of educating um, Puerto Rican students. It's, got, its orientation towards its students is going to be very different. It's going to have a particular context and way in which approaching its student body that's going to support them and, 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 and understand where they're coming from. Whereas if we have um, other institutions that are changing 
changing and evolving just because of demographics, are their missions um, changing in the same way? Are they uh, really outwardly showing on their website that they're supportive of, of Hispanic and Latino students? Um, do local communities know that that's a resource that's in their backyard? Um, so these are the questions that institutions need to be wrestling with as, as they're thinking about that. So, and I, and I want to throw this out next for us to talk about. So if we, we know that, that Villanova is not an HSI, but if we think about it, we're only at, we're at seven and a half, so we're not bad, but, but we're not there yet. We're not nearly at 25%. But if we think about it, if we think about, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, hopefully we'll be there before then. But if we think about that, how would Villanova need to change? What are some of the things in which we would need to think about? How are some of the ways in which we need to, um, yeah, to serve students? So I, I invite you for conversation on this, on this piece. So these are some, I think, kind of areas that I've, that I've touched on and mentioned. But, but, but talk to me. What do you think? I didn't hear nothing about Hispanic Heritage Month. When it was That's true. OK. That's true. Um, so, so having an awareness of Hispanic yeah, Heritage Month and celebrating it? Something big in February for uh, African American Month. Right. creating an open space for all, it kind of is, you know, it's like a trickle-down effect for mm -hmm. everyone, kind of every group increases. So it's, it's highlighting multiple groups, so showing that we, we care and we value different, different groups, various groups. Okay. We value Great. diversity. Yeah, value diversity. I would think financial aid, mm -hmm. I mean, continuously, it's for everybody. Right. So when we think about Villanova's current mission, um, what do we know about it? I know at least one of you is a freshman, so you've taken ACS and maybe thinking about kind of this Augustinian, right? You're taking Augustinian, is it culture and society? Is that what it stands for? Culture seminar. Cultural seminar, okay. So, so right, so St. Augustine's in the title. I thought he was crazy, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that book, The Confessions, did you read it? I read it. Didn't you think he was crazy? <laughs> well, not like what he did was really good, but I meant like it was like a telenovela. Like <laughs> he was crying, ripping out his hair. It was good book though. Um, but if we think about, I mean, so not just not just Saint Augustine, Saint Augustine, but also thinking about us as an Augustinian institution. What are some of the values, right? So we, have, we think about, you know, we always hear unitas, caritas, and veritas. Right, so truth, unity, and love. If we think about that as that sort of the foundation of Villanova. Are there ways in which we can pull that out? Are there ways in which you would like to see, maybe you, don't, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that you all don't have the mission memorized. I don't. Um, but are there ways in which you would like to see things highlighted? Maybe the unity, the unitas. The unitas, okay. So I know like over the summer there's unitas and that we were, that's what we do. 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 That's what we
and they asked the kids questions. Like, they made sure that they told, like, because it was, like, it was, like, a lot of diversity, and they made sure, like, that Villanova campus is not <laughs> like that. Because mm-hmm. it was, oh, because they mm-hmm. were, like, yeah, it's, like, not like that at all, so you might not see what you were feeling, or, like, it wouldn't be the same as it was during the weekend. Okay. But it was, like, really cool to see, I mean, the diversity just from that. There's, like, what, 250 people? Well, letters are sent out, um, I think, to every single incoming freshman about about Unitas. So um, a lot of people do know. A lot of people, you know, people people do know about it. But it is again, it's a capacity issue as well. So there's only so many people that can that could come. But but absolutely. But Steve, you've you you've gone here, undergrad, masters. You work here. What are your thoughts about this? Of if Villanova thinking about what you consider, yeah. Um, well, when you think of the when you're thinking about the, the question of the mission, though, what I would ask the students was, you think about Villanova, what are we, what are what are Villanova's biggest celebrations during the year? I think about it's service day, okay. Um, Which one? Both, well, not MLK day, MLK day was like really small, okay, compared to. Uh, St. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. So, so thinking about the, the things we celebrate at the, at the University of St. Thomas of Villanova Day is one of the big celebrations we have. Yeah. So thinking of the terms of what we do on that day and where the university goes, thinking in terms of ser- thinking in terms of service as a kind of the ways in which Villanovans do service. How, how might that change or what does that look like when you consider Villanova becoming an emerging HSI where 25, all of a sudden 25% of the university was suspended? We definitely wouldn't, we would probably not go to, I don't know where everybody went, but That's I mean, we went to, uh, I went with Blasso, which is a Latin American student organization, we went to North Philly, no we didn't, no, we went to like, some, like West Philly and we went to um, help people, like, we did outside work, so we did paint. So upper income, low income. No, it was uh, okay. Well, it was, um, Latino, white. No, they were African American. Okay. So I feel like we do help a lot with African Americans, but I'm not seeing much of a Latino. But during MLK Day, we did go to um, a bilingual charter school mm-hmm. in Northeast Philly. Bilingual Spanish, bilingual, yeah. bilingual Mandarin. Spanish. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was for, and they were, they were like about what he bought school to. I forget what exactly it was called. Okay. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Esperanza. Esperanza? No, it wasn't Esperanza. It was, um, Something else. Yeah, it was something else. So this, so your point, to your point, you're saying the service would change. So if it was the service serving, sites if might we change. Serving, then maybe we would be serving the Latino community. Okay. And maybe that would help also with like awareness and giving back and things like that. It also depends who you, it looks, depends who you're giving back to. Mm-hmm. So if you're giving back to people who are, mm, I wouldn't say like you, but like, you know, like they were Latino, you shared some kind of like culture. Like it makes more, not, it makes more of a difference, I feel like. You feel like you're like serving your people mm-hmm. in some kind of way. Okay. Yeah, I feel like you're doing a bigger impact because you're like, oh, like that little girl, boy, they could be like, I remember when I was in that situation right. or something like that, and I hope they grow up to go to college or high school. So we, what we're doing, we're 
So serving as a role model yeah, in many ways. Okay. We were establishing like their library. That's what we were doing. Okay. We didn't have libraries. So okay. we were like putting the call numbers in the system and labeling something that that way they could be able to check out books in like the next year or so. Okay. All right. So you agree? You think that's the yeah, case? Yeah, I was thinking along the lines of if, if the university is an emerging HSI and the thinking about the socioeconomic status of Hispanic population the United States being all over the map, but if you think of traditionally underrepresented students, you think of people coming from a low, from a middle to lower socioeconomic status. So, but a lot of Villanovans are coming from a middle to high socioeconomic status. So they're thinking of it's like it's, you, where you where you describe as giving back and kind of remembering or kind of remembering not having a library or remembering not having books and actually making the situation better. People, most people don't know they're going to do the same will never day, having never experienced that um, that level of uh, that level of poverty, that level of not having anything. So to them, it's, it becomes more about them, yeah. and, less, and less about the student experience and the students giving back. So that's one of the ways in which maybe the university, university might change. It's not the case for all for, for every student, but certainly be a different kind of thing. The second thing that would be communications. How, does, how do how all communications in Illinois come out? They tend to come out yeah. multilingual, or are they always in English? Oh, they're always in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I never put my parents' emails down. It's always mm -hmm. on the email. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Right. And so also that would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Like they had an option or something. Like that would be. I, you know how like you sometimes you sign up for stuff and they'll be like, um, like what language you want, like English, Spanish. Right. Whatever. So like I'm pretty sure like for. Asian students, some of their parents will speak right. Oh, So for communication, it's certainly the, the, the language, but also I think there's other pieces of communication too. So there's visual, those are ways in which we have visual, right? We have printed materials, or we have websites that um, display um, who Villanova is. Um, so I think, you know, two saying, what does Villanova look like? Um, does Vill do I see, can I see myself in Villanova? When I look at this brochure, when I look at the view book, can I see myself in Villanova? When I look at the faculty, when I look at the faculty can I see myself in Villanova? Absolutely. When I look at the staff, do I see my, when I come to campus, do I see myself at Villanova? In positions of power. Exactly. Not just exactly. Staff faculty. Right. Who's the president? Who's right. serving up at the top right. right. Who's cleaning my room or cleaning the dining hall and who's teaching my class? So because mm -hmm. before I even I never thought I would ever go here. Mm -hmm. Like 'cause I would, I heard about it like probably like freshman year in high school. The people who like people I knew, like teachers or something like that, husband like, and you pass this campus and like I I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm gonna go there. I'm like, I never thought I would go here. Mm -hmm. And then I visited my senior year, and that's when I decided. So why didn't you think you'd ever go here? Well, I thought it was too hard to get into at first, okay. and I was like, oh, I'm not smart enough to get in, and then I didn't. And then I thought, oh, it's not that diverse. But also, I went to a private high school where the majority were white girls, so it's kind of the same thing. So I felt like used to it anyway. Here was like more bigger numbers. Even though there was only like a hundred girls in my class, we were pretty. You know everybody's name here. You don't even know. Like, oh, is that? Right. Like yeah, it's a big. It's a bigger campus, so certainly. Yeah. yeah.
But so, so what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that in some ways you're speaking to that point of communication. You didn't you couldn't see yourself in Villanova, right? Yeah. You didn't you didn't have representations. Um, you didn't have I, I I don't know. Maybe you didn't have people coming to your school saying this, or when you were you know a younger child, you didn't know people who came here. It wasn't accessible. And I know you're from you're from <coughs> Philly, right? Yeah, the greater Philadelphia. You're area. you're from the greater Philadelphia area, <laughs> so it's not like you're from you know Idaho or something, and we yeah. we're not doing good recruiting in Idaho. But you're from you're you're local. So. Local, so that was another thing I knew just in case I couldn't get enough financial aid money, I had to stay or like I had to apply to schools that were around my mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. That way I could take SEPTA or yeah, or Camino right. or if my dad had to drive me, it had to be really close. Mm -hmm. That way, just in case. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I don't have to mm -hmm. stay home. Thank you. I can actually move here. <laughs> so, what about the services piece? What about the services? One thing I think. Okay. You know, um, one thing that always comes to my mind is the decision-making dynamics in a family. And advisors are always encouraged to get the student to make decisions on their own and to get family out of it. And I understand that to a degree, but I also think that many cultures Families make decisions sure. as a unit. Absolutely. And I think it's important, not just in advising, but in any of our services, to say, okay, what is the decision making? Right. And what are the obligations? Um, what happens if a family member is sick? Is the student expected to go home? You know, mm -hmm. and, and being aware of those kinds of right. things so that we're not using the same kind of so you so it sounds like you're saying um, multicultural training for advisors for for, for, for advisors for teachers okay. you know for, so for faculty who's basically you know dealing with, with the students right um, yeah you know the athletic department sure um, you know at the, the Subaru actually has training for its employees in terms of what part of the country we're in. How do you sell a car? How is selling a car mm -hmm. to a Hispanic family different than to an Asian family different? And you know, there is gonna be stereotyping and that's a fine line, but it's also an awareness that the difference can be legit, that we don't have to force everyone to conform in terms of their dynamics to a particular model mm -hmm. that happens to be currently going on. And even, you know, kind of what I heard in, in what you were saying, too, is that it's also, it's regional, too. So, yes. you know, yes, the, the, the cultural, um, even the culture of, like, <coughs> a, um, Latino in New Jersey might be very different than a Latino family in, yeah. in Texas. Back. Exactly. I mean, Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Right. Absolutely. You get the socioeconomic status and this well. so Certainly. Mm -hmm. I think you'd have to build more of those. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. What kind of services would you all want to see? As students, what do you think would be good if. Is there. I have no idea because I don't. Is there a Hispanic food available? They have a fake Chipotle. Yeah. yeah. So local, you mean? That, yeah. But that's local. But what about what about on campus? I feel like that would be really cool if we had like yeah. a Hispanic cook or something to cook some nice food. 
not my school, but like some traditional yeah. food because sometimes I'm just like, mom, like, can you tell Charlie to drive up here and give me some yeah. food? Because the food is like completely, I don't know if it, they do it towards people's diets or something, but it's just lacking a lot of flavor. Right. I like. But I think like we're like, it's been, we're used to like our mom's different spices and seasonings and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Um, but definitely the food. Right. Food is huge. It's a huge part of your daily life. It's a huge part of culture. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know we have like well, we have pancakes every day. Breakfast. Pancakes and eggs. Yeah. I feel like they have that. You never know. People like it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. you go to the one book dinner did you go this year did you go to the one book dinner so every do you know, you know about it so every year there's the there's the one book and the speaker comes to campus and and they give they give a talk and before the talk um the dining hall does a special dinner that's themed around the particular book and so this year it was it, the book the, the yeah this year it was the other west Moore. And um, the, so the, the food in the dining hall was uh, kind of two different types of cuisine. It was Baltimore food, so you had a lot of crab cakes um, and I think like Old Bay fries and things like that. And then there was, uh, because Westmore was from Baltimore, and then, but his mother was also Jamaican, so they had a Jamaican station. And if you were in that dining hall, it was fascinating to see where people went and to eat, where the line was. What do you think? Where do you think the line was? The crab cakes. There was nobody in line for curried lamb or nothing. No, nobody was, nobody was in line. So I wanted a crab cake. I want to try a crab cake, but I wasn't waiting in line, and I love curried food. So I loved Caribbean food, so I went there. But I think, you know, it's, it speaks to the point of we need to be encouraging people to, to try new things, to eat new food. Um, and that was shocking to me because every time I go to New York, like I have my restaurant that I want to go to to get my curried goat. And... And so, you know, and so in part, I, I wonder, I wonder if the, some of the decisions, I don't know if this is the case, I wonder if it's also kind of fiscal. Oh, we know the diets of our, you know, Villanova community, and we, we don't, you know, want, we, we're also a very green campus, so we're trying not to, you know, throw a lot of food away, so we don't want to cook food that people aren't going to eat. But that how do we get people to try it? How do we get people to know that they're, if you've never tried something before, how, you, how can you say you don't like it, right? But, and how do we, but, but also in doing so, in catering to, um, the kind of the majority, who are we alienating? And if we know that these are gonna be the demographic changes and where our, you know, our region, our nation is gonna be going, we gotta start figuring this out. It's talk about international Oh, absolutely. There's some homesick and they're homesick for the food. Yes. As well as everything else. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I don't see no, I'm pretty sure there's gonna be less friends around here. I know of, unless you go into the city. Right. You don't have to take the train. Right. And there's always money. Right, yeah. So so then maybe that's something. Maybe maybe that's another service, right? Are, are there ways in which you could create um, partnerships with restaurants to come to campus? Are there ways in which we can have a go, go Explore Philly Day where a train pass is conked so that you can go and try this? Is there a way in which we can have Nova Bucks set up to work at um, you know a local a local eatery? Mm-hmm. Some, Maybe just 
kind of like figure out a way where a food truck could come into it so we can just kind of like pass by. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and just like so. Right. Yeah. Apparently, there was a big thing with food trucks. They tried to food trucks a year ago, and there was like a whole legal issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is unfortunate. It's it's a lot of, when you have people come from outside come onto campus to sell something. There's a lot of um, uh, kind of paperwork you have to fill out, and so I guess something particularly about the food work. Yeah. The the food and how it's prepared. It's it was really difficult, but. Um, but I'm not saying that that should deter us from trying yeah. something, right? I think there's there's ways in which to think creative, creatively about that. So. <coughs> uh, we kind of cut it to like, um, not necessarily downsize it, but kind of cut it to the level that you know meets the needs. Right. Of sure. Of the sure. Right. Right. Meets meets our 7.5 plus some adventurous folks too. It'll right. be fun. I think because. In grade school, I remember we had International Day, mm-hmm. and um, well, this was a part of it. We should have been proud of it, but like, it was like some like student, every student had like a different country, and then we'd have an uh, youth like report on their country, make a PowerPoint, and it'd be like art showing. And then every table was a different country, like so there was like the Asian countries, then you have like the Caribbean, like the Latino countries, and then like European countries as well. Mm-hmm. So like, right now, like. So that would be like fun, like if even like it was like people that um, maybe not restaurants, or maybe you can actually get people that come here, a family or something to come in, maybe or not, um, like if they can get, like get paid or something to do that, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be like less of a company insurance kind of thing, right. or something like, I don't know, like what happened or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's, there's ways to think creatively about it. I think that, you know, there's, it's 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 important, right? I mean, that's I think that's what I hear you all saying is that it's important. It's it's an important way to make people feel welcome. It's an important way to um, food is a big part of culture, and so how how can we how can we figure this out, right? Not not give up, not give up on it. So so that's um, I, I thank you all for coming and for engaging in the conversation. So unless if there's anything else you want to comment on, but that's that's what I had. That's that's the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, how is it is it an issue on campus that that is just coming from, from uh, recognizing my white is here? Yeah. It, it, but thinking of the fact that um, I don't know how often it might be Spanish at home, but the fact that in Villanova so so little of staff and faculty that speak Spanish or that there's it, or if you want to speak Spanish is a welcoming place to speak a language that's not that's not like English all the time. Is that is that off putting? Is that an issue or is that just kind of like was that just America? I don't know, because, like, I was talking to my mom the day, I was like, like, when I would come home back from break or something, because I don't call my parents every day, like, I don't have, like, not that I don't have the time to, but sometimes it's just, you know, I forget or something like that, because I'm hanging out with friends. But, like, I literally, like, I feel like I'm forgetting my Spanish mm. because I don't speak it mm. as often anymore. Like, in high school, I took Spanish classes that way I wouldn't forget it, mm. and then I could learn it, like, formally, because at home, Every, from depending on what country you're from, everyone speaks a different Spanish. Sure. So, to learn more professional Spanish, I took it in high school that mm-hmm. way, so I could become more professional in it and like, take it. Like, I don't know if this was true or not. I heard there was like a medical Spanish class. Mm-hmm. If there is that, that would be really cool that way for people who, who take Spanish or like are nurses or doctors, 
like pre-med students that are, are taking Spanish. That way they can learn, learn how to say like science. Like right, they learn scientific science terms and code. Because I can right. say like a whole bunch of different things, but like, if I don't know how to say heart attack or all these other different words. Or if you don't know the cultural you know ways in which, you know, to approach talking about a heart attack too, exactly. right? That might, that's, that would be the, the, the context is just as important as the word sometimes. I don't know if that was true for Kathleen or not. I, I wasn't sure. I don't that know friend. that. I don't think so. I was, no. I didn't see it. Like a medical Spanish class. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I think even nur- maybe through nursing. Yeah. Yeah, really. yeah it's, it, there was one this semester, but I'm, I'm getting a minor in Spanish. OK. So I mean, I wanted to keep my Spanish speaking skills alive. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would really kind of improve like, resume with how we Like, um, I just really like the idea of kind of speaking Spanish on campus. I know I definitely have my own friend groups, and sometimes I would speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. I know um, I have my friend Natalia. Um, yeah, she, um, she, I speak Spanish with her all the time, mm-hmm. just to kind of just keep it like, um, kind of, it's more beneficial to me just because even though she knows it already, it kind of just helps me kind of like real world applications, mm-hmm. not because right here on this campus you don't really mm-hmm. encounter that many Spanish speaking people, right. and even if they took Spanish, they probably aren't inclined to speak Spanish with you if they know they could just speak English. Gotcha. So. Well, like there's some, like maybe if they're international Spanish-speaking students, then it wouldn't really be beneficial for them to keep speaking Spanish. Sure. It'd be better if they spoke English for right. everybody. Right. But then there's also some groups that just speak Spanish all the time, maybe like Airbnb's. Um, but like, because <laughs> there's like a lot this year, like on South Campus, and you always see them speaking Spanish. But then um, maybe some people feel some type of way I mean, that's exactly what happened with Native American tribes and the languages. I mean, there are languages that do not exist anymore because they were forced to speak English, right? I mean, that's, we don't, you know, you don't want to see, you know, Spanish is pretty widespread, so at least right now I don't think it's in danger of going away, but, but still, but, but, but on a personal level, you don't want to lose your own cultural experience, your own cultural background, so that's a good question. Yeah. 